Welcome back to KSL News Radio. I'm Jason Perry with the Hinckley Institute of Politics, joined by Morgan Lyoncotti, also with the Hinckley Institute. Well, Morgan, I'm kind of excited to talk about uh, former Representative Rebecca Chavez Howe. We're going to talk about some museums, uh, some that were proposed, some that have received some no votes. But I started thinking about um, you know, our time in Washington, D.C., and I've seen you there a lot uh, also when we're out there with interns and doing other things. Do you have a favorite museum out there? Oh, well, I can't. I, I oh, pick just, one. <laughs> I, the most recent one I visited was the African-American history one, which is yeah. just gut-wrenching and also so inspiring. Um, but just the fact that our country makes these museums beautiful and educational and free is astounding. It makes it so if you travel anywhere else, you have a little bit of sticker shock. And wonder, hey, why isn't this just accessible to everybody? Yeah, so true. Because these are some of the greatest museums in the world. You go. I, I think my kids still walk around with that uh, certificate they got that they got to touch a meteorite. Oh. You know, touch a meteorite the natural, there. The National History Museum. I think this one was the Air and Space Ooh, at this particular yeah, that makes one. Sense. But there's still com- conversations in D.C. about these museums. You know, and every once in a while, you you have this idea come up, and you say, where where would they put a new museum? Well, they find a place for it. Yeah, there's lots of grass on that mall. Uh-huh. So happy to talk about two of these museums that have been proposed most recently by members of Congress, uh, the Museum the Museums for Latinos and Women's History. And to talk about those two museums, so glad to have former Representative Rebecca chavez Howe. Representative, thanks for being with us today. It's good to be joining you. Well, we always love talking to you, and you, you just kind of have your hands in, well, so many things in the state. Uh, as a legislator, and even now, maybe even more so, as, as I see all the things you're involved in. Talk about those two museums a little bit, so maybe some of the, I don't know if it's controversy, but why we are getting some pushback. Well, um, my understanding is the history behind those two museums is they have been um, uh, the brainchild of stakeholders who want to bring forward the history of women's history, as well as the experiences of Latino, Hispanic Americans in our country. And the efforts have been in the works for a quarter of a century for both institutions. And the one thing I like to remind people of is that while we do want to have them um, operationalized and formalized, by Congress so that it shows that uh, the country as a whole is committed to learning more about the history of these two communities in our midst, uh, that there are private institutions, philanthropies, individuals that have been committed to um, supporting the, 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 the having these institutions for well over a quarter of a century for both institutions, uh, so 25 years in the making. So, um, you know, just want to remind people it's not just that we're asking for the country as a whole through congressional uh, approval to support the, the building and uh, the, the development of these two museums, but that there are stakeholders from throughout the country, uh, from these communities that want to see them move forward. It's so interesting. And tell, just give us your point of view. You know, why are these people so passionate about this? Why have they been pushing this forward? And you personally, what are you hoping to see out of either of these museums? Well, I think that, you know, reflecting on just recently how we've, uh, how Utah's uh, business and broader community has stepped forward with the recently signed Utah Compact on Racial Equity, um, Diversity, and Inclusion, and how we as Utahns recognize the contributions of of communities that have been in the past marginalized and in some cases exploited for the benefit of the country as a whole. 
Um, so I know that it's been noted that, you know, we do have a Museum of African-American History as well as uh, American, the history of the American Indian, our indigenous communities. Um, but many people don't know the history of Latino, the Latino community, Hispanic community in our country. Um, you know, the, 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 the history of colonization, conquest, and, and slavery is, is deep, and it has affected many communities, not just uh, the African-American community or indigenous communities. Um, and one thing that I would commend to people and have them encourage them to take a look at is a book that was written by Ray Suarez a few years ago called Latino Americans, and it goes uh, to tell the 500-year history of Latino Americans in our country. Uh, equally, in this year, as we're honoring the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage in our country, uh, we want to recognize the contributions that women have made in our nation's history and to elevate those stories and move them forward, provide a distinctive frame within which those stories can be told. Of course, it's wonderful when they are looked in the, in the complexity and the totality of all of our American history, as with the Latino community, but there are distinctions with both of these, um, these subsets of our country that we believe need to be elevated and lifted and put forward so we have a broader understanding of what, what these contributions have been like and some of the challenges that have been faced by women in our country over um, the centuries uh, that we've been in existence as a country and before, um, as well as Latino community. Well, Rev. Rev. you have been doing so much work to help with these the, these groups to to plug them into politics in particular, which I'm, mm-hmm. uh, which I think has just been so good. Maybe you could talk about some of the work you've been doing there to get more women, especially uh, women of of color, into government yeah. and into politics, and maybe say how these museums and the tribute to these groups may help with that. Well, I'm a believer in representative democracy, as I think we all are. And to have a truly representative democracy, we have to make sure that those voices that have sometimes been quashed or held back in the past have an opportunity to move forward. Um, And in that, in business and in education, all of the sectors of American life, uh, that includes politics and that includes leadership. Um, So I've had the pleasure of working with Real Women Run for a number of years. Uh, well over 70, I think we're eight years in the making there with We Are Women Run, encouraging women of, from all walks of life, regardless of party affiliation, regardless of ideology or community from throughout our state, to consider pursuing running for elected office and to serve in other leadership capacities in their communities. Sometimes people prefer not to run for office, but they make great appointment, appointees to boards and commissions in our local communities. And, boy, that can make a big difference when those individuals share what their experiences are within the community and bring those voices to the table. So I've been involved with Real Women Run, um, and always, whenever I can encourage young women of color to see themselves in these halls of power at the uh, city council dais, um, making decisions on planning commissions and boards so that they can bring the needs of their community into those discussions, Um was actively involved in the Utah Women in the Economy Commission, where we looked at the contributions of Utah women and some of the roadblocks that occur in terms of them being able to seek certification, licensure, advanced degrees to help them optimize their contributions to their family 
uh, economically as well as to achieve their full potential. So those are just some of the things that I've done locally and a lot of other people have contributed to. And this is a way that we can have the discussion of what that's looked like in our country since our inception and even before of the contributions of both Latino community and women. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe if I can just catch a, a thread of that, too, because it connects to some of the work you have done, been doing with the Governor's Health Equity Group. Uh, it's, it's not just uh, with these the same uh, most important groups of people, but also making sure that the policy makers are aware of these needs, particularly when it comes to health. Right, definitely. I think that what we have seen in COVID, unfortunately, is a disproportionate impact of that this pandemic on communities of color. Many of them um, are working in essential businesses. Many of them work and live in multi-generational multi housing. Um, aspects of the social determinants of health, that means health access, education, transportation, where people live, how they are employed, have affected them or their ability to be able to uh, prevent um, being hit so hard by this disease. And I think everybody in the community is starting to learn this. And as we learn more about the social determinants of health and how systemic racism has impacted individuals being able to access quality health care, um, that, again, it's shining a light on what we can do policy-wise to assure that these communities aren't disadvantaged in the way that they have been. Uh, just recently, the Office, or the, excuse me, the Division of Multicultural Affairs, in conjunction with the Levitt Partners, released a paper, a white paper, on systemic racism and its impact on health outcomes. Um, that, again, something I would commend to your visitors to take a look at and to read. It helps you understand more broadly how health disparities disadvantage all of us when there is one segment of our community that isn't healthy and doesn't have access to full health care, et cetera. Um, then the society as an entirety suffers. Well, uh, Representative, that is so insightful, and we're so grateful for all your work. That's going to have to be it today. Thank you for your insights, and thank you for the work. This is former State Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk. Thank you very much. Stick with us when we come back. What does it take to run a transition team? New Governor Morgan. Soon. Can't wait. A couple weeks. Come on back.